Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher bakarbanu mikol hamim, venatan lanu et torato, Baruch atah Adonai, noten haTorah. Amen. Baruch Shem Adonai. Well, shalom. It is right on the verge, as of this recording, of Rosh Chodesh of Sivan. And good night. I am feeling it. So, uh, a Rosh Chodesh Tov to everyone as we enter into Sivan. This is uh, a beautiful month. This is the month where we receive the Torah anew with the help of Hashem every year as we prepare. So we receive. So uh, Bezrat Hashem, everyone's been counting their Omer and that everyone has been fighting back against Amalek because it is during the month of Iyar that Amalek came to attack. So uh, while we're on our way to the mountain, Amalek just is all in our grill. So, uh, as I do this podcast, I want to, first of all, say a whole bunch of stuff as an intro. So, this will be Shomer's Garage. of uh, Got some drop zone from Bahukotai and going into Bami Bar. And, just if I could, give you a few snippets of Parsha Naso because say it's Naso, you know, and I will. And uh, so anyway, first up is my Havibi, uh, the Incredible Talmud. It is his Torah portion this week, Parsha Bamibar. So Mazal Tov to him. Uh, if you've been on my profile now, you've probably already seen I reposted. And Bezrat Hashem, you've listened to it uh, as much as you possibly could because I know it was really hard to because the guy needs some help. I mean, I don't know what got into him, but... You know, um, it was, uh, I mean, I, I, I re-listened to it. I'm just going to confess and it melted my brain. So, uh, it was so awesome. I've been on cloud 18 since then. Uh, I've been really living the high life, you know, and, uh, I just want to say, you know, that was so incredible. And one of the things that I said in there that I never got to really say, uh, was, you know, the whole thing about the male and the female and the piercing. So I just want to bring that up real quick to drop in some Hebrew, get you some. So the, you know, the way you say man and woman is ish and isha, right? You know, that's the husband and the wife. There's also another way to say male and female, and that is zakar, which is uh, zayin kaf resh, kaf like the circle looks like a little open hand. That you cover your mouth with, not to be confused with kuf, which is the big letter. It looks almost like a backwards P. Um, so there's that. But anyway, uh, so you got Zion Kaf Resh. And when you do Zion Kaf Resh, that makes Zakor like to remember. But it also is Zakar, which when you really look at what it means as a man. So, for example... Uh, let's see here. I'm looking at some definitions. It says, uh, this actually comes from Devarim, uh, with the word Zakar. But uh, I got a few facts here that I'm going to drop down. Um, uh, Bezrat Hashem, if I can get my screen up. Okay, here we go. 
So first of all, zakar is male. It means one who remembers something important and then does it. So then you got the word for female. And this is the word I was thinking about for Pierce. And it is nekaba. Okay, so that is noon, kuf, bet, hey. And so I want to source those out for us real quick, because when we look at these words in Torah, it, uh, it really helps us out. So pulling up Zakar, it is Strong's definition 2145. Okay, and again, I said this word is used in Devarim and the particular passage that I'd like to point out Let's get to Devarim. It has many occurrences before then. And uh, Devarim 4.16. This is our verse. So our first drop, Devarim 4.16. And this verse says, So that you not become corrupt and make for yourselves an idol, an image of any shape, whether form like a man or a woman. And so... Again, we got Zakar, Zayin, Kafresh, and then we got Nekaba, which is Nun, Kuf, Bet, Hey. And when you look up the word Nekaba, the first time it appears is actually in Vayikra 3. 1, it says, and when, hang on, it says, if your offering is a fellowship offering and you offer an animal from the herd, whether male or female, you are to present before Adonai, an animal without defect. So when it comes to the fellowship offering, which is also known as the Shlamim or peace offering. So um, when you look at that, so you got Nakaba there. The word Nakaba for female has to do with the word for pierce. And... Let's see here. Looking up my other meanings here. This is a little research on the fly, y'all. That's how we roll. So, Nakava comes from the word Nakav, which is Nun Kuf Bet. Okay? And it means to pierce, like to bore through. Uh, it also has a meaning of depth or spring of water to perforate, to pierce, to scrutinize. And it'd be like a leader or a chief or one who scrutinizes. Okay. And it also could mean to blaspheme, to curse or to express. Could also mean a point. The first use of this word is... Bereshit 30, verse 28. That's right. A conversation between Yaakov Avinu and Lavan. And to get the context here. But Lavan, okay, so starting in 27. So I'm going to read uh, Bereshit 30, 27 through 29. But Lavan replied, if I have found favor in your eyes, please stay. I have learned by divination that Adonai has blessed me because of you. And he added, name your wages and I will pay them. 
So the word for name your wages, that's where Nakav comes in and I will pay them. And, and then it says in verse 29, then Yaakov answered, you know how I have served you and how your livestock has thrived under my care. Okay, so, I mean, it's just kind of like, uh, let's see. Basically, so we're just getting into the, the crux of the conversation here to look at the word for Nakav. And um, the next time this word is used is for the interesting gentleman who was stoned at the end of Parsha. I believe it was Bihar. Um the one who blasphemed so there's that so not trying to make any inferences obviously to the women being blasphemers or whatnot or scrutinizers i want to make that very clear because obviously that could be very very dicey but uh if we're going to go there then we also need to remember pun intended because zakar means male and it it's all about remembrance and typically guys are called ones who forget and so all that to say on both sides if one will go the route of Lashon Hara and of baseless hatred you can get into that but I just want to let you know myself I don't want to go there and I desire that no one else goes there so with that being said, just remember, pun intended, that zakar is also the word for male and nakava is the word for female and it comes from the word meaning to pierce. So when you look about the fact of remembering and piercing, that this obviously gives us a picture of, you know, Adam because Adam is when male and female are united. So in order for us to fully express Adam, that is the fullness of the male and female connection coming together. That is mankind, you know, literally male and female. He made them, you know, Adam. So uh, and remember, Adam is two words. It's Aleph and Dom. It's the blood of the Aleph. Who is the Aleph? It is the one who is called Pela, the one who is wondrous. And whose blood do we have? It is his blood. And remember, his life is in the blood. So we should always want to have the vibrancy and the spirit of Hashem flowing through us because we were actually uh, imbued with the spirit of Hashem and his divine light within us in order to bring us to life and exist in this world. Some of us are digging and searching and revealing that light more and more and more as we grow. And some of us are suppressing that light more and more and more. So uh, the choice is ours, basically. Uh, this is Or HaKhaim on Levels of Soul, uh, back during Parsha and more. So uh, there is all of that uh, for your informations. And uh, yeah, so anyway... I just thought that was really interesting when it comes to, you know, the two genders that, and yes, there are two, that uh, one of the genders has to do with piercing 
And then one of the words has to do with remember. So, well, here's an interesting little note about Zakar. It says, Zakar, male, comes from a multifaceted root that does not simply mean remember. Rather, the root is connected more broadly to referring to something that is not physically present. So when you think about who we are as mankind, remember the one who we pierced, right? Like we as mankind, we caused Mashiach to have to have his suffering because we, first of all, ate from the tree. Then we danced around the golden calf. Then we, you know, were the cause of the temple being destroyed because we wanted idolatry. We turned our faces from Hashem and now we are in this final exile and we're needing to make desperate tikkun. Like, oh my word, what brought us into this exile that we're currently in? Baseless hatred. The opposite of how we receive the Torah. Since we're in Bamibar and since we're in Savan and Shabbat is like right around the corner. So what was the disposition that we were in to receive Torah? We were kol echad. We were ahavat chinam, baseless love. We were all united. So when you really look at, you know, Zakar and Nakava, it's like, remember the one who we pierced. And let's make tikkun for that. And then, um, as if that wasn't enough, goes on to say here, and again, I, I am actually reading an article, believe it or not. Um, this is not my normal MO, but this does have the information I was looking for. But if you really just study the Hebrew words, you'll still get the same information. So, uh, yeah, there's that. So not making excuses or anything, but just want to point that out that I think it's interesting that this information is readily available. And so this is an article it says on biblical masculinity and femininity. OK, so there you go. That's the source. Um, but anyway, it mentions in this article, it says one way of doing this is to remember something from the past. But there are many others. And Shemot 3.15, for instance, the root gives us zakir as a synonym for name. Because a name is one way of referring to something that is not physically present. Another way is to point. And it may be this meaning that gives us the Hebrew zakar. So... To point, like to make make a point, like to indicate a direction, like look over there and you're pointing over there. Or it can also be a call to remembrance by using a name. So like, oh, do you remember so-and-so? And it's like Zakar. Because that person so-and-so is not is not uh, present at the moment. And it's just kind of like you're mentioning the name. So there's that. I just wanted to bring that drop down because... If you, uh, Bezrat Hashem, listen to myself and Incredible Talmud on Parsha Bami Bar 5778, uh, we get into that among many other things. So that's the first thing. The next thing I want to say for introduction is just general awareness with, you know, life and where we're at. 
you realize one of the things that we're doing as we continue to press into Hashem and continue to spread the light of Hashem that there's a little bit of opposition happening. There's a little bit of clipot stirring up. There's a little bit of frustration. There's a little bit of anxiety. There's a little bit of stress and a little bit of chaos that seemingly is trying to press in and creep in. Uh, one of the ways is distraction. So things that you really want to get done and you seemingly have a hard time trying to accomplish. Whether you get sidetracked on checking emails or media or you're talking or you're procrastinating on projects because you feel very tired and lethargic or you just have so much going on at work or family or et cetera, et cetera. That's also one of the tactics to keep you from accomplishing what we can do as we are filling the world with the light of Hashem, hastening the return of Messiah, and, uh, you know, just generally headed towards the Yom Tov. And so as we are awaiting in the proverbial Yerushalayim to receive power from on high, you know, uh, again, this is Luke 24, 49 to the end, talking about getting prepared for Shavuot with the ascension of Mashiach. That, you know, we have responsibility, you know, to fight back. And sometimes we don't want to, you know, because we have to remember that our fight is not against flesh and blood. It's against spiritual principalities and authorities and rulers, you know, and things like that. And so when this is the case, you have to fight spiritually, you know. And so Baruch Hashem for Torah observance. Uh, are we davening? Are we eating kosher? Are we doing our brakot in the morning with our hand washing? Are we saying the Shema? Are we reading our Torah portion? Are we listening to the Aliyah day? You know, things of that nature. And the thing is, is you don't have to do like this overhaul on everything. But if you can do something, that's better than nothing. And anything that we do is super powerful. If you go back to... Parsha Behar, when it was talking about the Shemitah, it talked about Hashem commanding his blessing over your sixth year so that you will have enough yield for the sixth, seventh, and the eighth year. So that technically the ninth, which will technically be your first or your third year uh, into your new harvest, because after Shemitah, seven years, you start your seven year cycle over again. So that next year is the eighth. So that's your first year. And then your second year is the ninth. And so you'll still be eating off of the sixth year from the previous cycle. Uh, cause the Shem is just, he's just got it like that. And so if we trust him, that's what's up. And remember how the Kehert Humash brought down in the Hasidic insights that this is like the final generation before Mashiach. That we are the lowest of the generations when it comes to, you know, our elevations and, um, you know, just our overall illumination spiritually. We're in very, very dark times. Uh, there are seeming to be more and more falling away and entering into secular thought and realm of reality and forsaking of deep truths and uh, practicing spiritual disciplines. And it's just kind of like, but we are the generation that can bring Mashiach. And so how do we do that? 
it gave us the answer. It said by simple emunah, by simple faith-filled action. Okay, so what little that we do, Hashem takes that and exponentially increases it. It's like a little bit of holy chametz. <laughs> I don't know how you could really make holy chametz, but because chametz is represents puffing up, which is usually connected to the yetzahara. But the beautiful thing is, if you study all of our Pesach and uh, Omer and everything, you realize that when you spent those seven days, Hamid's free, that you nullified the effects of the Yetzirah. So that now when you partake of Hamid's after Pesach and you're counting the Omer and you're headed to Shavuot, we are now able to partake of Hametz safely because we have nullified the effects of the Yetzer. So now what should have puffed up the Yetzer, we can now use to puff up our spiritual pursuits. So this could be our alacrity, like our uh, our quickness to and fervency of entering into mitzvot. Uh, and also for our joy that we can have as we are doing Torah, living Torah, studying Torah, sharing Torah, teaching Torah. We can just go out of control, man. We can just let the let the holler just rise. Like, oh, literally. Uh, funny story, uh, you know, so Ish Pela and his wife, who is the Shoma version of the Invisible Woman, Isha Shamui is how you say her name. But we know her as Tirza, so she's awesome. Yes, that's right. So um, she had a, this uh, thing where she needed to make her hala and she was letting it rise and the oven was unavailable. So she had uh, extra time for it to rise and it basically became like this ginormous loaves of hala. Like she just had, I mean, it was like, it was almost like a, a an inflatable mattress basically. And, uh, you know, you could have literally slept on it, but really... If Ish Pela and myself are around, then there really wouldn't have been much left. There would have probably been like an olive-sized portion. So, yeah, I mean, there really wouldn't, wouldn't have been much to sleep on. But anyway, I just go on to say that, you know, um, what we have available to us right now is this tremendous joy that can uh, elevate us and arise us and you realize that the reason why we say the Anabekoak the uh, may your right hand save and deliver us and may you purify us from all of our impurities. Like why we say that Braca during the Omer count is because that's called a quantum leap. Okay, so it's like taking us through all of these levels, like it's advancing us. Um, Rabbi Aharon Raskin has a beautiful video about the Anabekoak. Uh, so if you're on YouTube, please check that out. The Anabekoak Braka or prayer. Um, and it's by our own Raskin. So, yeah, so you can check that out. It'll blow your mind. Uh, and I'm actually convicted enough. That I'm going to actually go back and listen to that. So it's, uh, yeah, legit. So why am I saying all this? Why am I taking this time to do this for the intro? Because all these different... Uh, tactics so to speak and strategies we just have to be mindful of because life is not happenstance and there are no coincidences so uh, as you encounter things of all types 
be uh, very, very firm in who you are and in your amuna with Hashem. And call it out when you see it. Pray about it. Voice it. Open your mouth. Use the voice of Yaakov to confine the hands of Asaf, if you will. Uh, that's a beautiful study. Anytime you can go through and check on all of the sources about the voice of Yaakov, the hands of Asaf, it's it's legit. But anyway, um, just I want everyone to make sure that you fight, whatever, however you can. If you can fight by saying a bracha over a cup of water, then that's legit. That's a cannon right there. Uh, if you can say. Uh, if you can do your, your Aliyah day, okay, that's another canon. It's just ridiculous. Okay. If you can, uh, just be a light, be a joyous person in your workplace and cause people to be like, what is wrong with this person? This person, like, no matter what they go through, they're just like, they're, they're pressing forward. You know, they're like Baruch Hashem. I have no idea what Baruch Hashem means. And they've explained it to me, but I'm still kind of like, that's just weird. I don't know. What's a Hashem? You know, those kinds of things. You get people to stop and you explain things to them and all sorts of stuff like that. So, uh, and one of the things that I just have to say is relationships with friends, family, shul members, leadership, you know, Let's be in prayer for all of those things, because those are other areas of uh, vulnerability that do get attacked. They will get attacked. They are getting attacked and they have been getting attacked. And so just be on our be on our diligence. OK, so I've been doing that, but I just wanted to take time to vocalize that to everyone because we're in this fight together. And uh, as I have mentioned so many times already, Thanos never stood a chance against all the Avengers at once. If we did one-on-one or three-on-one or something like that, he mopped the floor with us. But if you got armies and armies and myriads and myriads, then he don't stand a chance. So let's take down the proverbial Thanos and um, press into a shim do whatever we can to bring more and more illumination and more and more of the spirit of the redemption into our lives. And so with that, that is the end of my intro. Let's get to some insights, shall we? All righty. Welcome back. Okay. So let's start off in Parsha Bechukotai. Rebbe Nachman. Okay. So Vayikra 26, 7. It says, you will pursue your enemies and they will fall before you by the sword. You will pursue your enemies and they will fall before you by the sword. Is it a blessing to pursue one's enemies? Is it? Wouldn't Shalom be a better blessing so that one can toil in Torah and serve God in tranquility? Because it's just kind of very, just kind of like, really, you'll pursue your enemies and they will fall before you by the sword. So we're all like offensive now. We're like all offense, no defense. Is, isn't there other ways to do this, right? So it brings down the goal and desire of each and every person should be to spread godliness. Okay, this should be the goal and the desire. 
in the margins, I wrote Avraham because, you know, that's what he did. And in the Haftarah uh, Get You Some with myself and Hasis Baz for Parashabek Hukotai, we talked about this, actually, at the end, that what we need to do uh, as we get closer and closer to the final redemption is be like Abraham. Because, um, you know, we went from uh, the time frame of Yaakov, which was, you know, the giving of the Torah, and then into the frame of Yitzhak, which was the times of the temples. And now we're in the time of Abraham, where, you know, the Torah is on a very, very deep and high esoteric level, as well as a revealed, simple Peshat level. And uh, we have no temple, but we are the temple and it's upon us to reach out to the world and to be a light to the nations. OK, and uh, so interesting, too, because Rabbi GQ posted a video that's Rabbi Abraham Greenbaum uh, from Eretz Israel. He posted a video about Torah for the nations or Torah to the nations. And this is the essence of Parsha Bamibar that Torah has to go to the nations and Torah is for those who make themselves like a, like a desert. So, uh, this is just kind of so cool when you really think about it, because ultimately, you know, there is anti-Semitism and things like that, that exist in the world. But again, there has been commentary about why do we have anti-Semitism? It's because we haven't been doing our jobs of being lights to the nations. You realize that we as Jewish people are like literally the big brother and the big sister to the nations. That's why we're called Yisrael, the firstborn, because we're the firstborn among the nations of the world. You know, it's like God has 71 children, like God has his own Sanhedrin because Sanhedrin is 70 members plus one. And, you know, we're like that plus one. And then there are 70 nations. And so it's like so we should be a shining pun intended example to the nations. And it's like, if we can share them or share with them, godliness, truth, shalom, compassion, love, no matter who they are, just be no respecter of persons, just like our father is, you know, be imitators of Hashem. It's just like, so this should be our goal. This should be our desire. So, um, this is kind of one of the the awesome responsibilities that we have as Hashem's chosen nation, his royal priesthood, you know, uh, that as kings and priests, that how how should a, a proper king rule, so to speak, heavy on the quotations rule, because we ain't we ain't needing to be put ourselves on pedestals and be like, yeah, I'm the king. Everyone bow to me, you know, because uh, remember, if we don't suffer with Mashiach, we can't reign with him, you know. Uh, there will be coming a time where apparently we're going to be judging angels. So if we can't judge our own selves appropriately right now, then we're talking angels. So how in the world do we get to that mind frame? Well, through much suffering comes much maturity, much understanding. And through much becoming one with the Torah, you get to be transformed with the renewal of your mind. So all that to say that you know let's let's bring light let's spread godliness like it's out of control okay people should just be hit up with hebrew 
and simple things, you know, just teach, you know, Baruch. Baruch is from the word Barek. It's also connotative of grafting in. So when we talk about being grafted in, that's the word for Baruch, which is blessed. Okay. Baruch and Barek also have the connotation of bending the knee. And so every knee shall bend, every tongue shall confess, everyone shall bow, prostrate themselves before Hashem and bless him. That's all in Baruch. You know, and then break down the letters, get real ninja with it. You know, get the, the Hebrew wisdom of the letters. So you got the bet, which is like a house. And then you got the resh, which is like a roche. It's like the, the covering of a head, you know, the back of a head. Kind of like the what the keeper does for us gentlemen or what the tackle does for the ladies. OK, so that's like the resh. So it's a house of covering. And then you got the cough, which is like a mouth. The hand over the mouth kind of thing. So you got like a house that's covering and uh, protecting the mouth. So like speech, you know, there is no hatred. There is no animosity. There's no name calling. There's no slandering. Okay. And we're speaking good things. And we're bringing them into a house of covering. You know, uh, you ever been over someone's house where it's just so nice you know, it's clean, it smells good, you know, you enjoy being there, you're comfortable. This is connotative of the word Baruch and Barek, grafting in, bending the knee, blessing Hashem. This is also why we bend our knee and bow when we say Baruch, as in Baruch Atah Adonai. We always do the bend on the Baruch and then we bow. So that's all that. And so if you think about what that can do for a person, you know, you're introducing them into the home where if you're a normal person, you know, that if you're welcome into such a space, you don't really know what to do with yourself. I'm just like, I don't know. I don't feel like I belong here. I'm just saying, you know, and it's just like, no, we want you here. And, and think about when people get the opportunity to feel wanted. I mean, I don't know. Just I I kind of want to cry thinking about that. Showing my sensitive side. Yes. But, uh, you know, someone who's wanted. And the thing is, is we as people, we want to be wanted and we want to want. You know, if you think about how how amazing that is, because Hashem is the father of us all. All of our souls came from him. We literally live inside of Hashem. Creation is inside of Hashem. Okay, like, I mean, just think about all this. This is this is insane, you know? So to to not know your father, to not know who you have your habitation in, and to fight back against that. That has to be a hard place, which is why there's so much corruption, so much callousness, so much just uh, horribleness that's going on. Drug abuse and gender like confusion and, uh, you know, all sorts of things that are going on because we're disconnected from the source, you know. And so when a person finds out that they're wanted, irrespective of their performance, irrespective of their mannerisms, I mean, that's incredible. You know, it's just kind of like, you really don't hate me and you really support me. You you really are for me. 
No one has been for me. No one has been supportive of me. No one has felt like they esteem me over them. You know, like just thinking in the mentality of people in the world today, because everyone's trying to get to the number one spot, so to speak. Everyone wants to do better than the next man. Everyone wants to be like, I'm better than you, you know, kind of thing. And I want to get all that I can get because my life was, is short and I know it. So I'm going to have all the fun I can and get it in right now. And then there's a loss of understanding the eternal view, the eternal, like the long term plan, you know, and it's just kind of like all of us have eternal souls. It's just the fact of where are we going to be? Are we going to be with Hashem or are we not? You know, and to think that the entry point into that is do people even know and do people even feel like Hashem wants them? Because there's a lot of rebellion that happens based off the fact of lack of knowledge. Like literally my people perish for lack of knowledge, which if you listen to the Agarit to the Romans podcast for Parsha Bombing Bar and a little bit of Naso, that uh, it is Da'at is Torah. So because people don't really know what Torah is and they think it's just Genesis through Deuteronomy and it's like, Actually, that's Bereshit, that's Shemot, Vayikra, Bamibar, and Devarim, and Talmud, Midrash, Halacha, Agada, and all sorts of other stuff, like Oral Torah. There's a written and an oral, which the oral is now in written form. It's available. You ever heard of Safaria? And don't go on the source sheets, but there's all sorts of stuff there too, but yeah. Anyway, uh, just want to point that out that uh, you know, if people feel wanted, there's a there's a better chance of being able to spread godliness. This is why Yeshua would say, "You are the light of the world. You shall be as a city upon a hill, and you should be a light on the table." Okay, give light to the room. No bushels, no hiding, no snuffing out your light. So anyway, back to Rebbe Nachman, he says, continuing, this blessing affords us that opportunity. So the blessing about you'll be able to pursue your enemies and they will fall by the sword. It says, so this blessing affords us the opportunity to fulfill the goal and the desire that each of us should have to spread godliness. And again, I added like Abraham. So it affords us this opportunity to do that, helping us merit to such a great spiritual level that we can actually go out and pursue our enemies in order to draw them close to God. They will fall before you by the sword. The sword represents prayer. You can see Rashi on Bereshit 48.22. It says, through our prayers and words of truth, we will be able to reveal the truth of God to others. Lakuta Halako, volume 5, page 214a through 428. So that's first up. So pursuing our enemies. Next one uh, from Bechukotai, Rebbe Nachman on Bereshit 26.14 says, but if you will listen to, or, bear sheet, Slika, on Vayikra 2614, 
Okay. So, but if you do not listen to me and do not perform all these mitzvot. So it says, but if you do not listen, I will scatter you among the nations. That's the comment. It says, why was the land lost to the Jews? The question was asked to the wise men and the prophets. They could not answer it until God himself explained. Because they abandoned my Torah that I gave them, and they did not listen to my voice or walk in my paths. Yahoo 9, 11 through 12. So I have Yahoo's commentary. Want to check out Yahoo chapter 9. Let's see here. All right, so check this out. So here's the commentary. It says, These verses conclude that the root cause of all devastation was a lack of dedication to Torah study and to a Torah lifestyle. This is why we don't have a Jewish walk. We have a Jewish life. Uh, to quote Zakin Milkama. So Zakin Rayford, he's, by the way, our Shomer version of War Machine. A.K.A. Rody. Shouts out to Rody, y'all. Okay, anyway, so, uh, anyway, that's Zake and Rody, right? Okay, anyway, uh, had the nation toiled harder in studying Torah, its light would have illuminated their lives and led to Teshuva and to an improvement of their deeds. That's from the Mezudot. So that's, that's pretty insane. Uh, for forsaking my Torah, so this is Yahoo 9, 12. It says, the verse gives three reasons for the destruction. They did not study Torah with love and enthusiasm. And then it says, Lo shamu becholi. They did not heed my voice. I.e., not only did they lack enthusiasm, they failed to perform the mitzvot even out of fear of Hashem and his retribution. Number trace says lo halaku ba nor follow it like they didn't even walk in its ways. It says they did not even perform the mitzvot out of rote and routine. That's from the Malbim. So you know I think this goes with a uh, desire that you be either hot or cold because from this you think about the fact. You didn't even perform the mitzvah out of rote or routine. Like, even if you would have done that, that would have been something. So that's crazy to think about. The Talmud Nadarim 81a wonders, had they actually forsaken the mitzvah or even Torah study? Why would anyone question why the land became desolate? Verse 11 states that not that no one, not the wise men, not the prophets, not even the angels, which, by the way, Asher Diber Pi Adonai Elav, which is to whom the mouth of Hashem speaks, referring to the angels, it says, neither could explain why there was such desolation and they could not clarify this matter until, as our verse states, Hashem himself came forward to explain it. Apparently, the sages state, 
they did study Torah, but there was an underlying flaw in their study that could be revealed only by Hashem. That flaw, says the Talmud, was that they did not recite the Birkat before Torah, the Birkat Torah. You know, the blessing that I say on every podcast at the beginning, that one. Okay. And it says, why indeed was this failure considered so severe? The commentators offer several explanations. Says this indicated they lacked proper esteem for the value of Torah and a failure to study it for proper motives. That's from Rabbeinu Yonah, cited by the Ran. Ran. R-A-N. And then it says, Maharal, preface to Teferis Yisrael, says that they definitely did recite the Birkat Torah. But their blessings were void of the proper love and attachment to Hashem who gave the Torah. Swerve. This, connect this to the Agarit to the Romans. Okay, because the Agarit to the Romans that I did for Parsha Bamibar, which was uh, from chapter 2, verses 17 through 20. This right here is like, this is it. If you don't have proper love and attachment, you're reciting blessings, you're fulfilling Torah... Like, you got to have that. That is so important. This is the whole thing Shaul was writing to every Kehila that he wrote to. Every congregation that he wrote to, he was wanting to make sure they all had proper love and attachment to Hashem. For, like, for, the, uh, for lack of better words, quote-unquote, put the Torah aside for one moment. And do you love Hashem? Are you enthusiastic about connecting to him? Are you enthusiastic about serving him? Because if you can't even be there, when you when you take on the Torah as your crown, as your mantle, as your covering, you know, like if you don't have any of that other stuff, it's not proper. And it's like, I'd rather you get this other stuff right first. So if you really want Shaul's writings in a nutshell, that's it. There's deep mystery there and there's all sorts of other stuff that he talks about. But really, if you think about why the whole reason that the, uh, there are other faith systems who use the, the writings of Shaul, which half of them are disputed, so we don't really know which ones he actually wrote uh, for those disputed ones. But even his undisputed ones, when you really look at all of them, he doesn't really give this whole like keep Torah and nothing else kind of message in such a clear way. Only if you know rabbinic studies and things of that nature, do you come away from his writings going, oh, I get it now. He was actually talking about what, you know, Rabbeinu Bakia cited over here or something that Rashi dropped over here. You know, and there are many occasions where I've actually found that uh, Shaul and Rashi are dropping the same thing. And it's just kind of like, that's crazy. But anyway, I just want to point that out. So proper love and attachment to Hashem. Come on. Says, um, had they included those attributes into their blessing, Adonai would have drawn them closer to his service and protected them from evil. Lapid. Sar Shalom, Avengers, get you some nation. Hey, having proper love and attachment to Hashem, 
He draws us closer to his service and protects us from all evil. This is why Yeshua gave us to teach us how to pray. You know, response that says that give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our debts and we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory forever and to all eternity. Through Mashiach Yeshua, we pray. Amen. Right? So Hashem protects us. Even in Yochanan 17, when Yeshua is interceding for us in the garden, he's saying he's not asking for us to be taken out of the world, but that we're protected from the evil one. And that comes from being Echad. So we have to have basis love. We have to have Lashon Kodesh. We have to have basis love and holy speech. All right, next point, it says, each nation is unique in its own way. The glory of the Jewish people is the Torah. By not blessing the one who chose us from all nations and gave us the Torah, they showed that they did not adequately sense that uniqueness so that they were exiled among the nations. That's Mayam Loez. Torah study has two dimensions. It acts as a means of educating oneself in regard to how to perform the mitzvot. In that vein, it's only a preparatory tool for other mitzvot. Aside from that, Torah study is important unto itself to delve into the wisdom of Hashem, even if it's not practically relevant to the student. But by not reciting the brachot, the blessings, the Jews showed that they believed only in the first reason. Preparation and not as anything else. It says, and one does not make a blessing on preparation for a mitzvah. Just as one does not recite a blessing when one purchases matzah for the Seder. They did not appreciate the fact that Torah study is an independent mitzvah and demands its own blessing. That's from the base Halevi, Parshas Mishpatim. Side note, there was a speed bump in here. It says we do not. Uh, let's see, it says making a blessing. One does not make a blessing on preparation for a mitzvah. So in other words, if you're if you're preparing to say the, you know, get ready to put on your tallit, you don't say a blessing to prepare to put on your tallit. You say a blessing or prepare to prepare to put on your tallit. So like if you go get your tallit, you don't go like, Brukatado, Nai, I'm going to go get my tallit so I can say the blessing to put on my tallit. You don't say a blessing for that. You just go get your tallit and in the Siddur, there's all sorts of brakot before dawning tallit. But it puts that with, you do not recite a blessing when you purchase matzah for the Seder. Normally, we say the Shekiyanu when we purchase things. But we don't say like a Shekiyanu for purchasing matzah. So that's interesting. Because it's kind of like uh, when we do the meal of Messiah, we don't say the Shekiyanu. There's other times that we have times that we don't say the Shekiyanu for Yom Tovim. So that's uh, really cool. Uh, the other thing, so I want to do my first Naso drop because it actually ties in with this, uh, in Parsha Naso, uh, in the Hasidic insights, it talks about, uh, the study of Torah 
So let me um, pull this up here. Okay, so in this Hasidic insight, all right, it's actually going to be in the, uh, I believe this is the overview. Let me go back. Study of Torah. Thank you for your patience. All right, so it says the account of the installation offerings is followed by the final elements in the parsha, a short description of how Moshe learned Torah from God in the tabernacle. The juxtaposition of this description with the preceding account of installation offerings teaches us that if we approach the study of Torah with selflessness and concern for the collective body of the Jewish people, we can indeed aspire to hear or aspire to hear the voice of God issuing from the sanctuary we have built out of our individual lives. Uh, that was, let's see. That's the first thing that's from the overview. Then we got, let's see, it's here somewhere. I think that, yeah, this is it. Okay, so this is from chapter 5, verses 15 through 17 on the Hasidic Insights. It says, um, a little footnote about sacred waters, because this is during the Sota section the woman suspected of uh, adultery it says in order to rehabilitate the spiritually sick the priest takes sacred water water in general is a metaphor for the torah as seen or as cited in baba comma 17a sacred water connotes the inner dimension of torah the nature of water is to descend and it says, whereas sacred means detached and aloof, something that does not descend and mingle. These opposing characteristics coexist in the inner dimension of Torah. On the one hand, the secrets of the Torah are too sublime to be grasped by the human mind. On the other hand, the inner dimension of the Torah can reach, inspire, touch and move people more than the esoteric aspect of Torah can. Therefore, a person is encouraged to study the Torah even for selfish reasons, since we are sure that the inner dimension of Torah will ultimately inspire him to learn for the proper motives. The priest must take these sacred waters. Okay. Uh, that is also not what I'm looking for. Let's see. There's a uh, information about performance of uh, the mitzvot uh, with the opposition of studying Torah. 
Trying to see where I saw that at. Trying to see where I saw that at. Wow. Uh, maybe. Okay, so. I guess not so much, huh? <laughs> There's that drop, study of Torah. Study of Torah must be mixed with good deeds. Getting closer. Oh, you know what? I took a picture of it. Baruch Hashem. Let me get back to my picture. Let's see here. I got to find the picture. Hmm. Okay. Brugashem. Okay, so it is in the overview. Says, so the parsha begins, take a census of the clan of Gershon too. The fact that the clan of Gershon's tally is presented as secondary to that of the clan of Kehot, or Kehot, I guess is sometimes also pronounced, uh, almost as an afterthought indicates the real tallying, the real raising of the head is that done to the clan of Kehot. This is because... As we said, the clan of Kahat carried the Ark of the Covenant, which housed the Torah. The Torah is the real means by which we raise our heads, that is, ascend to higher levels of divine consciousness. It is for this reason that the clan of Kahat is counted first. So then it goes on to saying all that. And it says, this, furthermore, placing the senses of the clan of Gershon at the beginning of Parshat Naso highlights the advantage of action over study. And then it says, okay, so shoveling around here. <laughs> Okay, so action over study. As we have seen previously, Torah study and the concrete performance of God's commandments are superior to one another in different ways. Torah study unites us consciously with God, but only affects our intellect. And if you remember, like when you look at the 10 Sephirot, which obviously there's actually 11 because of Keter, and that's more a crown. But when you look at the 10 row, you have intellect and emotion. You have your kokhmabina da'at, your knowledge, wisdom, understanding. That's the intellect. And then you have, you know, teferet, gevura, chesed, malkud, yesod, so on and so forth. All those other seven are called our emotions. And so these are what we're counting during the Omer, by the way. So if you study Torah, you're only affecting your kokhmabina and da'at. So what about the rest of you? So it says, in contrast, performing the mitzvot unites us to God only subliminally, 
But this union pervades the physical body. So the way to take care of the other seven sephirot that make up the human emotions, the rest of our physical body. So the way we connect our spiritual and physical to Hashem is we study Torah, which takes care of Chokmah and Da'at. And we, we do mitzvot, which takes care of the rest. So this is how we rectify our physical body is through physical mitzvot. Physical attachment, physical commandment. Because you realize the word mitzvah comes from the word zav, which is the word connect. So it says, so when we perform the mitzvot, this union pervades the physical body. Recording the senses of the clan of Kahat first emphasizes the superiority of Torah study. Because you count that we do the senses of the clan of Kahat which is uh, a tribe or a, a subdivision of the tribe of Levi. Okay, and they're the ones that transport the ark and sacred vessels uh, and things like that of the Mishkan. So we talk about them first with Parsha Bamibar, and then we break off in chapter 4 and pick up at the rest of chapter 4 during Parsha Naso to, to count the rest of the, the uh, subdivisions of Levi which is Gershon and Morari. And so it's saying we do Kehat first and put that in Bami Bar. This is to emphasize the superiority of Torah study, arranging the Parshot so that the clan of Gershon senses introduces Parsha Naso, emphasizes superiority of performing the mitzvot. So, you know, when you really look at Bami Bar Naso and to go back to... Uh, the podcast from 5778, let's go with Be-Dam Bar, in the blood of the sun, Naso lifted up. So we're lifted up in the blood of the sun, but we have to be in, we have to be sprinkled with the blood first and then we can be elevated. So, you know, Bami Bar breaks down to Be-Dam Bar, in the blood of the sun. So anyway, so I want to point that out, that uh, this is our Torah study and our performance of the mitzvot. And when we Torah study, we want to make sure we're doing that with enthusiasm, love, attachment to Hashem. So that's our drop there. So back to Rebbe Nachman, uh, Vayikra 2614, talking about why were we, why was the land lost? Why are we not in our land? Okay, we're kind of in there right now, but really kind of not. There's a lot of uh, spots of areas in Israel that you cannot go to, that you do not want to go to, and you better not go to. So uh, there's that. But anyway, it says, They did not listen to my voice or walk in my paths. These are one and the same concept. Rabbi Yehuda said they did not recite Birkat Torah, the blessings be over the Torah before studying it. Netarim 81a and Baba Medzia 85a through b. So wasn't it obvious that the temple was destroyed and the nation exiled because the Jews had sinned? Why did that answer elude the wise men and prophets? And is the reason given by the Talmud that they neglected to recite the blessings over Torah, so grave an error that it would result in such a terrible punishment? In fact, God's answer was not meant to be a reason for the exile, but a catalyst to prevent future upheaval. 
How can we prevent this from happening again? God hinted at the answer by saying, they did not listen to my voice or walk in my paths. A Jew must study God's laws every single day. Hence, Aliade, Rabbi Griffin, Captain Israel, right? Says, no matter what sins or misdeeds he has done, he must try, the emphasis, try to grab whatever good he can, be it a page of Torah or even a single law. That way, his desire to serve God will eventually lead him to reattach himself to God. Because the Jews did not try to grab whatever bit of Torah and mitzvot they could, they distanced themselves from God even more. So I just want to put the obvious question that is super rhetorical. If you have another faith system that supposedly believes in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Yaakov, but yet you don't grab a single bit of Torah and you teach that the Torah is done away with, just want to say you're distancing yourself from God. So, yeah. Anyway, I, I should source this out for you, by the way. Um, there's a whole thing about the love for God growing cold. Check this out. It says, Matityahu uh, 24.12. It says... Well, if you read it all in here, this is under a section called Witnessing to the Nations. It says, And many f false prophets will arise and mislead many. Because of the multiplication of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who perseveres to the end will be saved. And that verse of uh, 2412 here, the, the multiplication of wickedness, because of lawlessness, because of the hatred of Torah, because of the lack and depravity of Torah, the love of most will grow cold. So how do we keep our love hot and on fire for Hashem? Torah. Torah, Torah, Torah. You got to study it, got to learn it, got to do it, got to eat it, got to read it, sleep with it. You know, uh, one of the most beautiful things you can do is play droshes while you sleep. Play Hebrew music while you sleep. Play Hebrew music and droshes while you're away from your house or wherever you live. You know, play it in your car on your way to work, on your way from work. Turn the news off. Because, you know, when you really get down to it, there's a lot of things that we need to be aware of. But if you are so submerged into that, that you can't even bring forth the good news. That's a problem. So let's get it balanced, right? And then um, why don't we throw in Yaakov, the the Agarit Yaakov, chapter 1, verse 21. He says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and every expression of evil and humbly receive the word planted in you, which can save your souls. So there you go. Get you some of that. All right, um, so back to this. So grab on to whatever tour you can. Get you some Maliade. You know, and one of the reasons why I do my podcast, I don't really try to compete with Rabbi Griffin because that would be silly. Very, very, I'm going to go ahead and, use, no, I'm not going to use that word. I'm going to use the word uh, 
Not smart. There we go. I don't do my podcast to compete with him. I don't do them to supplement with him. I do this because I want to get this information out here. And being Shomer man, you know, like, I want to make everybody look cool. You know, so Bezrod Shem, you listen to the Shomer Man podcast, you can learn all sorts of random things that probably you want to know and probably you didn't want to know. But either way, um, you know, it's here, it's available. So Bezrod Shem, you can pick up all sorts of goods and please share, expand, increase, elucidate, expound upon, you know. Uh, anyway, play, play this while you're cleaning your house, you know. Don't you don't listen. You don't have to listen to every word I say. Most words I say are just rambling anyway. So uh, anyway, maybe it's not, but maybe it is because I'm rambling right now. Back to the source, though. Uh, but anyway, seriously, before I get back to the source, seriously, I, I really do. In all seriousness, I, I want I do and I make these podcasts with the help of Hashem. Because I desire to spread godliness like my father, Abraham Avinu. Okay, I want to be exactly like him. And what way can I do that? Well, I like to rap. I like to dance. Don't really get much time to do that these days. So I don't feel like I rap and dance anymore. But I feel like as I'm studying Torah that I do get to rap and dance. So I get to dance with the Torah and I love it. And I want to put it out for all the world. So hopefully someone who doesn't get the opportunity to go to shul or to learn Hebrew, uh, if they listen to this podcast, they can learn. And Baruch Hashem. So anyway, I try to do as much as I can. That's why it's hours and hours of information, because, you know, I want to give every opportunity. So that's it. All right. Anyway. Back to the source, the Rebbe Nachman, Vayikra 26.14. The blessings over the Torah aid us in our quest for godliness. Okay, you want to be godly? Say the blessing before Torah. Okay, that's why I say this. I mean, you got to think. Shomer Man has been doing podcasts for years now. Every single time he does a podcast, he always starts with an opening bracha. What's up with that? Well, this because of this. I love Hashem. I want to be attached to him. I got so much junk in me that needs to get worked out uh, from conditioning, from my own self-inflicted uh, wounds that I've done because I've tried to protect myself and thought I could do it better than Hashem. And I was far from Hashem at one point, And now I have to work all that out <laughs> with fear and trembling. And so... You best believe if the Birkata Torah is going to help me, I'm going to say it. You know, I'm the kind of person that just does whatever I can possibly do. You know, so anyway, so it says the Birkata Torah aids us in our quest for godliness. These blessings cite the beauty and pleasantness of the Torah, which attract us to its study and fill our lives with simka joy. By neglecting to recite the brakot, the blessings, the Jews detach themselves from their awareness of the fulfillment of these blessings, i.e. Torah study, causing their downfall. Lakute Halakot, volume 8, page 73a through 73b. 
All right, uh, one more, one more drop from Bihuko Tai. So I will call this the Bihuko Tai drop zone, uh, and that'll be that. Okay, so if your souls detest my laws, this is Vayikra 2615. Vayim Hukotai Team Asu. And if you despise my laws, my statutes, and your souls detest my laws so that you stop performing my mitzvot, you will have broken my covenant. And literally it says et briti, like the Aleph Tav covenant. You've broken my Yeshua, basically. So you're not even you're not even inside Yeshua if you despise the Torah. What's the problem? Yikes. Oi. Oh, snap. Wow. Okay, anyway. That just hurts. It, it hurts to hear that. It hurts to say it. You know, I was at that point before. So I do have personal experience with, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't have to do all that other stuff. Ooh, I, man, thank God I don't have to eat kosher because I love bacon. Like I was there at one point. And even when I did come into covenant and slowly but surely was learning about what kashrut is and how to actually eat kosher and uh, weaning myself off of McDonald's because that used to be my favorite. And I, now I find out that there's a kosher McDonald's as meat par and Eretz Israel and I want to go. So if anybody could hook that up for me, that'd be cool. Um, obviously, Hashem first, I want to approach you on that. And if you want to have any of your children uh, so moved to make a meat parv uh, kosher McDonald's happen for Shomer Man, I would love that. Not that I'm putting out requests or anything. But anyway, uh, so yeah, I, I mean... I'm not going to lie. I, I really want to have me a number one or whatever, a number something from a meat par of McDonald's. That just sounds amazing. Wow. A kosher McDonald's. I'm just, hmm. I know it's wrong, but it's so right, y'all. It's kosher. Come on. But anyway, when I was going kosher, I was like, okay, take the cheese off the burger, take the bacon off the burger. And it's like, your meat's got to be kosher. Oh, so I can't even have the burger. And it was like, oh, you realize, okay, so that takes care of the land animals, you know, because I love hamburgers. And then it's just like, uh, well, I love calamari. And it's just like, guess what? They don't have fins or scales. It's like, oh, really? I'm sure there's a scale somewhere on that thing. Uh, Aleph Mimtav, son, you got to have fins and scales. You can't just say it has a scale or some scales. Maybe it has scales, but it's got to have both. It's got both signs, just like your land animals. Have to have a split hoof and chew the cud. You can't go, oh, it has a split hoof. It's all good. It's like, no, split hoof and chew the cud. All right. So it says God's laws reflect wisdom. This is Rebbe Nachman again. This is a knock knock. Not a knock knock joke, but a knock knock drop. Okay. Stop. I know. Okay. God's laws reflect wisdom just as a person who detest God's wisdom, also detest the sages. So too, a person who detests the sages indicates that he detests God. Because, you know, the sages recited and gave us God's wisdom as well. 
It's called Oral Torah. It says one way to gauge where we are holding is through faith in the sages. Lakute Maharon, Volume 1, 18.4. All right. So how we treat the sages. How is that really going? That's that's what's up. So this will conclude our Bakukotai drop zone. And on to Parsha Bamibar. And welcome back. Okay, so we finished Bakukotai. Chazak, chazak. Venit Chazik. And now we're into Bami Bar. Okay, so Bami Bar. I'm going to go back to my Lakute Torah on this. Proper introduction. Uh, I'm actually going to uh, parallel the Omer with uh, Bami Bar as well because as we conclude Bami Bar, we conclude the Omer count. Oh my goodness. I'm excited. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Because ab about what we're about to read, this is insane. Okay? So, here we go. So, this is Lakute Torah Bami Bar. Why am I excited about Shabbat? Why am I excited about Parsha Bamibar? Why am I excited about concluding the Omer count? When you conclude the Omer count, and when you experience Shavuot with the help of Hashem, may we all do so. May it even be with the return of Mashiach. I mean, come on. I, I wouldn't mind that either. Come on, Hashem. Like, check this out. Okay. So, I mean, because I was going to do a spoiler, and I don't want to do a spoiler. Okay, here we go. Ready, 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 ready. Okay, Lakute Torah. Verasticha li leolam. And I will betroth myself to you forever. You remember we say that when we uh, put on our tefillin in the morning? You know, right as we're wrapping the, literally the ring around our fingers. You know, we're saying, I betroth myself to you. I betroth myself to you. I betroth myself to you. Which also comes from Hosea. The writings of Hosea. Anyway, so uh, here we go. Pasha Bami Bar is always read on the Shabbat prior to Shavuot. Always. The holiday celebrating the receiving of the Torah. And if you're an Acts 2 fan, it's the receiving of the Ruach HaKodesh. So if you ever needed a simple explanation, how is the Torah and the Spirit Echad? Because what does Shavuot represent? The commemoration of receiving the Torah. And it gets turned up when we receive power from on high via the Ruach HaKodesh. But Acts chapter 2 is not the first time that we receive the Ruach HaKodesh because we receive the Ruach HaKodesh in Bereshit chapter 1. And Adam was literally filled with the Ruach HaKodesh because he walked with Hashem and listened to his voice, and he studied the Torah even before it was given. And so did Abraham, so did Noach, so did Shem, so did Ever, all of the above, okay? So the Ruach and the Torah, even the Midrash Rabbah brings it down that Scripture and the Ruach are Echad. So if you want to say, walk by the Spirit, Slika. Or if you want to say, walk by the Torah, it's the same. Just like if you say, 
yes, I believe in Mashiach, or yes, I believe in the Torah. It's the same. Because you realize Yeshua is a Torah made flesh. And if you're going to have belief in Hashem, then you have belief in the Son, who is the Torah. The Torah is likened to the Son of God. Even uh, Mishlei chapter 8 brings that down. Let me, let me go ahead and do that. Man, I got four different sources open, and then I'm going to go over here to Mishlei. Seriously, Shomer Man, this is this what we do? Now I know why Iron Man made so many suits. I got to get up on that. Got to make a bunch of suits and have a house party protocol. Check this out. Um, yeah, Mishlei chapter 8. I almost got sidetracked. I was in Mishlei chapter 5. Dropping stuff. Okay. So check this out. In Mishlei 8.30, it says that I was then his nursling. You ready for some Hebrew? Va eye. First of all, eye, which is like, I shall be as I shall be. Like Hashem's name as uh, recited in the burning bush. Yeah, so the Torah is also called eye. Mishlei 8.30. Anyway... That was crazy. All right, so va'eye etzlo. So and I was then his nursling beside him, cause va'eye etzlo amon. Okay, etzlo amon. I was his. I was then. I was. I shall be his nursling beside him. Etzlo is like zal. Etzalo, which is like next to him. Which, oh, that little drop, uh, I was in my notes and I was thinking about when is Etzlo used? And it's used for the the removal of the ashes from the Mizbeach. You have to put the ashes, Etzlo, to the Mizbeach. Put them beside the altar and then you change your clothes and you take the ashes to the outside of camp. So the the proximity of the ashes to the altar is what the Torah is to Hashem. And if I'm not mistaken, the ashes are literally on the altar at that point when it's called Edzlo. So like it's a chad with the altar. And so obviously they remove it because there's all these pyres. This is in the this is in the Siddur. Um the art the the complete art scroll Siddur. If you have that, it's in there. Just read that. Uh I I will I promise you I will get in a vortex if I open it. So just trust me on that. Just read it. Just think about Edzlo. Think about the Torah and Hashem as you read that. Okay. Hashem. All right. Vortex avoided. Okay. Anyway, uh, it says, so this is what the Torah is talking about. And this is also wisdom speaking. Wisdom has been speaking for quite a while in this Mishle. And wisdom, it says, is the Torah. So the Torah is wisdom. So yeah, there's that. Okay, so commentary. Again, this is the this is what I like to call Shomer Blue, but it's just the art scroll, uh, the Ketuvim with commentary anthologized from rabbinic writings. And it's specifically for Mishle, which is Proverbs. Okay, and here we go. It says, Va'eye etzlo amon. 
I was then his nursling. The Torah was like God's beloved child, nurtured by him and his source of constant delight. The word Amun refers to a child when he is being weaned from his mother's milk and is being trained to eat solid food. There was this time where there was a celebration because Yitzhak Avinu was being weaned and he had this whole big celebration or Abraham did. And, uh, you know, people were coming from everywhere. And this is where Sarah was miraculously given extra milk to nurse all the children of the nations. And those uh, children who nursed from her later became converts. And so there's where this whole thing. And this is also the event where the sick were healed. The lame were made to walk. The blind were made to see. This is also the same event where the face of Yitzhak was changed by Hashem himself to look like Abraham so that the son looked exactly like the father. And if you've seen the son, you've seen the father. So this whole weaning thing, yeah, that's where all that happened. Uh, that, my source, is Bereshit, uh, the Midrash says, and Parshavera. So there you go. That's a really cool thing when you really read the weaning of yitzhak it really makes you think about uh parsha yitro which was when the torah was given so yeah so anyway the torah is god's child so just want to point that out okay so back to the torah says various aspects of matan torah which is the giving of torah are explained and giving a new Hasidic meaning throughout the Mamarim included in the Parsha. Below are sections of three selected Mamarim of this Parsha that deal with the giving of the Torah. In the Ma'amar of Bakodesh Hashlishi, it says, In Parsha Yitro, which the Rebbe instructed to be learned on Shavuot. Come on, what do you study on Shavuot? Well, first of all, study Ruth. Because that's what you need to do. Don't be ruthless. And then um, study Parsha Yitro. Because that is, that's the thing. And if you're a Lapidnik, study Acts chapter 2. Get you some. Actually, study Acts chapter 1 into Acts chapter 2. Because that's, that's legit. Also, it says the Altar Rebbe delves into the purpose of Matan Torah. And the novel quality and character contained within the Torah and mitzvot after they have been given at Har Sinai, as opposed to, as opposed to prior, wow, as opposed to prior to that event. So the purpose of the giving of the Torah and the novel quality and character contained within the Torah and the mitzvot after they have been given, as opposed to talking about it prior to that. So prior to that, it was super spiritual. Uh, it was prophetically known, like by Noach, by Abraham, Isaac, Yaakov, Yosef, and the, the 12 sons, uh, Levi. This is also what was studied by the tribe of Levi during the Egyptian exile. So this is also what Adam studied while he was working, quotation, the garden. So how do you study the Torah when it's not given? Yeah, 
So th- he's saying basically what the Alter Rebbe is about to talk about. We're not talking about that. We're going to talk about the after when the Torah was given. Okay. So, uh, and again, this makes me think about Yeshua before he was quote unquote born by, you know, Miriam. Uh, so this is kind of like cool to think about. Okay. So there's Yeshua before he was born, even though he was really born already because he was born outside of creation, even though what does that mean? But yeah, there was a time where he was born. So being inside of time and space and in these 10 dimensions, this kind of gives us a lot of limitation, which, by the way, I did say 10 dimensions. We only know like four, I think. Uh, so the whole 4D thing. And so we're we're normally we're in 3D world. Uh, so, yeah. Anyway. So that limits us quite a bit. So for us, when we think time, we're all linear. And even though we can think cyclical now because of Torah portions and the cycles of the seasons, it's still kind of a hang up on the past, present and future because past, present and future is always before Hashem because he's outside of time. So when it says today, if you hear his voice, that means yesterday, hear his voice today, hear his voice and tomorrow, hear his voice because his voice is always there. So anyway, uh, Stay on topic, Shomer Man. Okay, for example, Matan Torah introduced the ability to learn the Torah of Hashem with such nullification to him that one can actually become a chariot for his speech by simply vocalizing the words that Hashem is saying with him at the time of learning. Likewise, performing the mitzvot was now able to penetrate the world making it into a dwelling place for Hashem here below. What that basically just said, if you want to ever experience what it must have been like to be Yeshua, literally Yeshua Mashiach, because remember he said, the words that I speak are not my own. They're the ones, they're the words of the one who sent me. I only do what my father does. You know, I don't do my own thing. When you want to get into that, Pretend or no, don't pretend. Just know that when you are reciting literal verses of Torah, verses of oral Torah, or when you're performing mitzvot, that you are embodying Mashiach Yeshua. You are literally a Torah made flesh. So think about the more and more we get the opportunity. Let's do this. Let's be the Torah made flesh and fill the earth with Yeshua. That's how you do it. You study Torah, you vocalize it, you teach it, you dive in it, and you perform it. This is why it's not blessed are the, blessed not only are the hearers, but blessed are the doers. And the righteous shall live by faith. Okay? We shall put into work what we believe in, and that is called living. Okay, so then it says, the Mamarim of Parsha Bamibar focused more on the actual event of Matan Torah and what it represented. Matan Torah is considered to be the wedding between the Jewish people and Hashem. And in what way are we considered Hashem's bride and him our groom? What is the betrothal ring between us and Hashem? This Marmar explains the special bond that the Jewish people share with Hashem, similar to a bride and the different methods by which our marriage to Hashem is consecrated. So yeah, so that is... uh, on Bami Bar, which is Bakodesh Ashlishi in the third month, and then Parsha Bami Bar, because Bami Bar opens within the third month, because we just got to the mountain. Even though the Torah is not in chronological order, but yeah. 
There's a whole drop on that too in the uh, Hasidic Insights to Parashah Naso, or actually in the overview. Uh, let's go ahead and do that, shall we? Check this out. So Swerve, Naso drop. Okay, so if I go to Naso, go to my overview, it says, so the journey into the desert actually began on the 20th of ER, 2449. And it says, and this is recorded only halfway through the next Parsha Beha Avoteca. Thus, all of Bamibar and all of Naso and half of Baha Aloteca are concerned with the preparations for the journey. Everything described in these parshot is a prerequisite that we must complete before we venture into the spiritual desert in order to subdue it to holiness. So, there is that. So, check it out. So, it says, so, if we look at the dates of the events that happened in this Torah portion. And what happens in Parashana, so we got the conscription of the Levite clans of Gershon and Merari into temple service. We got the exclusion of defiled people from the camp. We got details of the laws of theft. We got the procedure for testing a suspected adulteress, which is a Sota. We got the laws of the Nazarite. We got the priestly blessings. We got the installation offerings of the leaders and tribes, and we got the manner in which God spoke to Moshe and the tabernacle. So look at the dates of these events, and it's like, what in the world is happening? Time stone out of control, basically. It says, so number one, you got the continuation of the preceding Parsha's narration of the senses. So when you start Parsha Naso, you're picking up from Parsha Bamibar with the census. And it says this was taken on the 1st of ER 2449. And then after you finish the census, you return to the narration of the events of the previous month, which is the month of Nisan of that same year, 2449. And then after you return to that, then you go to the legal material which was given between Savan of the previous year and Ivan or an ER. Wow, ER and Savan is Ivan. Okay, but anyway, so the legal material that we get into is from Savan of the previous year to ER of the current year. And then it says, then you return again to the narration of the events that took place on the first of Nisan in 2449. So you got a whole year worth of things that's going on, but it's all out of order. So, yeah. So Torah is not in chronological order, by the way. So, yeah. Anyway, just want to point that out there. Again, Hashem is outside of time. This is all the same day to him. It's just kind of like, what? Uh, so we got now, so we got the giving of the Torah and Bakodesh Hashlishi. That's the first thing. It says the second Marmar discusses why the Torah was given specifically on Har Sinai, as it is a rather small mountain comparatively. The third Marmar discusses the true greatness of the Torah and Mitzvot and what should be one's ultimate motivation when performing them. Let's go to that. Scoop. <laughs> Okay, what's our ultimate motivation? I mentioned this actually in the uh, Agarit Romans for Parashabamibar uh, this week. But anyway, it says, so 
the essential greatness, by the way, of the Torah and mitzvot is not that they are the will of Hashem, but that they contain, uh, but that, but that they each contain an immense individual pleasure for Hashem. So they're not merely the will of Hashem, but each mitzvah contains a different divine intent and purpose. And hence there is a difference in the effect of each mitzvah. So in truth, the reason for this differentiation is due to the root of the mitzvah and God's essential pleasure. The pleasure of Hashem is different for each mitzvah with each mitzvah holding a different divine pleasure for God. This pleasure is of an infinitely greater level than is the divine will for the mitzvot. So you got the divine will being like, okay, yep, but let's go beyond that. It says, and it is, in fact, the personal, it is this personal pleasure involved in each mitzvah that begets the level of will. In other words, the pleasure and the mitzvah is the catalyst and antecedent for God to desire and will their performance and command them. At Matan Torah, this level of divine pleasure in each mitzvah was revealed. This is why the sages state that during the event of the Ten Commandments, the souls of the Jewish people expired. For at Matan Torah, every every command had its personal essential pleasure revealed. The difference between serving Hashem because his Torah and mitzvot are his will versus because his Torah and his mitzvot are his desire, his pleasure, is only experienced in one's ability to reach a feeling of expiry of the soul for Hashem, which expiry of the soul is kelota nefesh, which is the root of Kala, which is bride. So a bride is one who aspires in their soul and their love of their husband. So then it says um, that it says, okay, so get down to what is the essential thing. Okay, so it does not suffice to fulfill the Torah and mitzvot simply out of receiving it and accepting it because it's his will. One must also be aware that the Torah and the mitzvot contain great divine pleasure, and it is for that reason that Hashem commanded us to fulfill them. Beware, when you fulfill a mitzvah, that every individual mitzvah contains a specific divine intent and pleasure to Hashem. So we do Torah because it makes Hashem, it, it pleasures Hashem. And you want to do things to please the one you love. So that's why we do Torah. We don't do Torah because it's obligation. We don't do Torah because we're commanded to do so. We do Torah because of the pleasure and the will, the pleasure and the desire of Hashem. So we keep that in mind that each mitzvah is a different way to bring pleasure to Hashem. And this is literally Torah for the sake of heaven because some aspects of rabbinic theology brings down that when you do Torah lishma, Torah for its sake, Torah for the sake of heaven, that this is doing it only for the pleasure of the one who commanded. So, again, this is also why Shaul's writings are thoroughly just 
manipulated into keeping people away from Torah observance because you're like, yeah, that old law, we don't need that. That's old. And it's just like, yeah, so this totally is bringing pleasure and fulfilling the desire of Hashem. So like it has nothing to do with being a quote unquote old law that we need to be free from. The Torah is a gift. Why would we ever need to be free from a gift? What did the gift do to hurt you? If Hashem is going to give you a gift, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's probably not oppressive. It's probably not a burden. Just going to go on record and say that. Okay. Uh, while I'm looking at it, I'm just going to randomly fire stuff now. So breaking all my rules. This is from a beautiful uh, art scroll source called Touched by the Parsha. The Stories and Soul of the Weekly Torah Portion by Rabbi Yekiel Sparrow. Okay. S-P-E-R-O. And um, it's like stories and like practical applications on the Parsha. And I got this courtesy of Ish Hasid, our Jewish version of Batman. Literally the Arkham Knight version of Batman. The Get You Some. Sleeka. So anyway, uh, we have a we have a couple of Batmans actually. You know, two Mashiachs, two Batmans. You know, you can't go wrong with that, right? So shouts out to our Batman and Batgirl up in the Kansas City area. Shalom, shalom. Many blessings to y'all. Bezrat Hashem. Talk to you soon, and see you soon in the Lapid community. Come on. But anyway, um, so. Ish Kassid over here, though, he gave me this on loan. So I'm going to I'm going to read all of it right now. OK, so this is on Parsha Bami Bar. It says shining as individuals. So from the mitzvah to count the Jewish people in Parsha Bami Bar, we see that every Jew counts. It says the word Mispar, as it appears in the verse, be Mispar Shemos, by the number of the names which is Bami Bar 1, verse 2. It says means number, but its root can also refer to something that is shining, as in the word sapphire, sapphire. Every person is unique. Everyone has his own contribution to make to and for the Jewish people. Each of us has the ability and the responsibility to shine. Story time. Come on. When one of my sons was born, I received a magnificent note from Rabbi Hillel Goldberg, the editor of Enter Mountain Jews, Jewish News in Denver, Colorado. Actually, he wrote the note to my son. It said, may you merit to fulfill your potential in your own unique, never before done way. The end. So back to the insights, it says the Jewish nation is called Yisrael. This is an acronym for Yesh Shishim Ribo Otiot La Torah. There are 600,000 letters in the Torah. Literally that phrase that I read out, the first letter of each of that phrase spells out Yisrael. So Yod Sin Resh. Aleph, Lamet. Okay, so each letter in the Torah must stand on its own. If one letter is missing, the entire scroll is invalid. 
Each individual is represented by a letter. Every one of us must discover the uniqueness and beauty of his or her own neshama. If one letter is touching another, this too invalidates the Sefer Torah. We must be careful about treading on someone else's individuality, for such a slight is akin to one letter in the Sefer Torah touching another, which would invalidate the entire scroll. If a person does not behave properly, he ruins his letter in the Torah. With this in mind, the Teferis Shlomo of Radol, Radomsk explains the Pasuk Gal Einai Ve Abita Niflot Mi Torateka. Uncover my eyes that I may perceive wonders from your Torah. Tehillim 119.18. David HaMelech asked the Almighty to reveal to him Niflaot, which can be broken up into two words. Nafalot, a letter fail. He was asking Hashem to tell him which letter have fallen from Hashem's Torah. David, in his position as leader of the people, hoped to correct any imperfections within the nation. If we are a, if we are to maximize our greatness and fulfill our responsibility to the letter of the Torah that represents us, we must look beyond ourselves. So, Safir, everybody, Safir, shine, be counted. All right, um... Let's go ahead and go into Pirkei Avot. Uh, Pirkei Avot, chapter 5, section 5. It says, 10 miracles were performed for our forefathers in the Beit HaMikdash. Number one, no woman had a miscarriage from the scent of the meat. Number two, no holy flesh ever went putrid, like the meats of the sacrifices, the Corbinot. Number three, and a fly was not seen in the room of slaughtering. Number four. And a Kohen Gadol did not have an accidental omission on Yom Kippur. Number five. And rain did not extinguish the fire of the wood pile. And the wind did not overpower. Okay. That's number six now. The wind did not overpower the pillar of smoke. And there was not a number, wow, number seven. And the, uh, there was not a, found a disqualification in the Omer, a special barley offering offered on the day after Pesach, which by the way, you see Pirkei Avot even says the day after Pesach is when you bring the Omer, which is resurrection day, which is the waving of the Omer, the 16th of Nisan, that's the day after Pesach. So you start counting the Omer on the 16th of Nisan, day after Pesach. Resurrection Day was the day after Pesach. Okay. So it says this barley offering uh, offered on the day after Pesach, which permits grain harvested and the new harvest to be eating. So basically, if you didn't bring your Omer, you went, you didn't get to eat from the new harvest. So think about that with what we know about Mashiach's resurrection. If he wasn't resurrected, then we don't get to partake of the resurrection. So what does that say? Okay, so then it says, so that was like number seven with the Omer. And then it says, or in the two breads, which is what you bring on Shavuot, or in the showbreads, which is the bread that's replaced every Arab Shabbos. So then it says, and they would stand up. So this is number eight now. 
they would stand up crowded and bow down with enough space. Number nine, and a snake or scorpion never hurt a person in Yerushalayim. Number 10, a person did not say to his fellow, this place is too cramped that I should lodge in Jerusalem. Okay, so in other words, there was always room in the inn. So that's what happened in the temple. But I know what you're thinking, or you may not be thinking, but I thought, what about when Yaakov or Yosef and Miriam go to Bethlehem and there's no room in the inn? Because it's just like, well, if you went to the temple, there was always space. There was never not any room in the inn. But if you go outside of there, there chances are you could be out of space. So anyway, that was just to fulfill the fact that Yeshua had to be born in a sukkah to represent being a sukkah born into the world. All right, so I catapult us into the Mishnah, Menachot 66a, about the Omer. After they harvested the Omer and placed it in the baskets, they brought it to the temple courtyard, and they would singe in the fire the kernels of barley while they were still on the stalks in order to fulfill the mitzvah of parched grain. As it is written, and if you bring a meal offering of first fruits to Adonai, you shall bring for the meal offering of your first fruits grain and the ear parched with fire. Vaikra 2.14. This is the statement of Rabbi Mir. And the rabbis say prior to parching the kernels, they would remove them from the stalks by beating them with soft, moist reeds and with cabbage stalks, not with sticks, so that the kernels would not be crushed. So when you bring the omer, it's going to be parched, but it's not going to be crushed. This kind of reminds me of the Pesach, that you don't break the bones, but you do roast the lamb or the goat. And then it says, Then they placed the grain into a hollow vessel called a le'abuv, and this vessel was perforated, so that the fire would take hold of the grain in its entirety. After parching the kernels, they would spread the kernels in the temple courtyard, and the wind would blow upon the kernels, cooling and drying them. They then placed the kernels in a mill used to grind grits, so that the barley would not be ground so fine that the shell would be mixed with the grain. And they produced from the ground barley a tenth of an ephah of barley flour that was sifted through 13 sifters and the rest is redeemed and may be eaten by any person. So after you offer the omer of the barley, then you can eat the rest of it. And it says, and dough from this barley flour is obligated in the separation of challah. So if y'all want to be real spiritual and make barley hala, then you have to separate your dough. So that's cool. Should have some barley hala. That sounds awesome. Sounds like Omer. Like Omer word. Okay, but anyway, it says the grain is exempt from the separation of the tithe. So you do separate it for hala, but you don't make it a tithe. You don't tithe this. 
Okay, Rabbi Akiva deems this flower obligated in having hala and tithe separating from it. Oh, well, never mind. You tithe it. You make hala and you tithe it. Okay. Brukashim. So, let me go ahead and hit this Gemara real quick. It says, The Mishnah cited a disagreement between Rabbi Mir and the rabbis as to whether the barley kernels were first singed while they were in their stalks or only after they were beaten and removed from their stalks. When they were placed in a hollow vessel. The sages taught in a bereta with regard to the verse, and if you bring a meal offering of first fruits to Adonai, you shall bring for the meal offering of your first fruits, grain in the ear parched with fire, even groats of the fresh ear. Vayikra 2.14 Grain in the ear. This is a reference to the grain, i.e. the barley kernel, parched, which is kalui, with fire. This teaches that the Jewish people would singe it in fire in order to fulfill the mitzvah of bringing parched grain. And this is the statement of Rabbi Mir. Okay, so there's that. Uh, the other thing I wanted to do is actually just read a little bit of the uh the fanfare that happens when you go actually and harvest the omer mishnah minicote ten three says this how do they the reaping of the omer the agents of the court would go out on the eve of the holiday and they would make them into bundles while they were still attached to the ground so in other words, this is when this is during the time when possibly Mashiach could have been resurrected, because if you really follow the pattern, Pirkei Avot talks about we were kicked out of the garden at Havdalah, and that's when the fire was taken and we went out into the world. And so why not go back in the garden at Havdalah, right? So anyway, um, Mashiach, if he would have came out during this time, this is when they went out to the fields to count the Omer. Remember, the Omer is all about the resurrection and tikkun and renewal and all that, right? So, just thinking about all this. So, again, this is Mishnah Minakot 10.3. says, the agents of the court would go out on the eve of the holiday and they would make them into bundles while they were still attached to the ground so that they would be easily cut. All the cities that were near there would come so that it would be cut with a great fanfare. Once it got dark, the reaper would say to them, Has the sun set? And they would answer, Yes. Has the sun set? And they would answer, Yes. With this, a sickle? And they would answer, Yes. With this, a sickle? And they would answer, Yes. Into this, a basket? And they would answer, Yes. Into this, a basket? And they would answer, Yes. On Shabbat, he would say to them, is it Shabbat? And they would answer, yes. It is it Shabbat? And they would answer, yes. Shall I reap? And they would answer, reap. Shall I reap? And they would answer, reap. Three times for each question, and they would answer, yes, yes, yes. Kind of like Kepha when he said, yes, you know I love you, Lord. Yes, you know I love you, Lord. Because, you know, he did the, the denials, and obviously... He was reinstated. So, Baruch Hashem, it says, So why so much to prove wrong the Baltuzim, 
the Botusians, which is a sect of the Sadducees who rejected the Torah. Who would say, or Sika, they rejected the oral Torah. They were totally fine with the written Torah. It says, who would say that the Omer was only reaped on the day after the first day of the Pesach holiday? So they would reap it and place it in baskets. It would be brought to the temple courtyard, and then they do what we read before. Now, the thing is, is there are 13 principles of studying the Torah. And so when you really look at the Omer and harvesting it, it goes with the whole 13. So you know where I'm going, if you know me. The uh, Jewish wisdom and the numbers. There is a drop on 13. Uh, it's 13 Rules of Interpretation. It's page 176. Torah study is the optimal means man has to connect to the mind of God. Okay. Source out right now. Okay. Put this down. Okay, prep day. We need to talk about the mind of God real quick. Okay, so when you look at this, there is a, um, first of all, there's a verse in the Agarit Philippi 2, 5, and 8. Okay, but we'll get there uh, shortly. Let's go ahead and get there now. Uh, check this out. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Mashiach, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. This is right here. This is the very reason. Egeret Philippi, chapter 2, verse 7. This is why... There's this whole thing is Mashiach divine and is he not? And he's just a man. He's not. Okay. If you go back to verse six, it says who being in the very nature of God and remember the Torah, remember Eye, remember Edzalol. He's with God. He's 2000 years before creation. Like, what is that? How do you even count years outside of creation? There's no time. What kind of stuff is that? Okay. So anyway, what happened is literally what had happened was he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. This verse says so many different things. First of all, the nature of a servant is what a human being is. So if we don't think ourselves servants to God, then we're trying to break out of us being actual humans and we're making ourselves more and more into animals when we don't make ourselves the servants of God. Also, it's saying the, the way that Yeshua emptied himself, when he emptied himself, he looked like a human. So this is Mashiach emptying himself. This is what he looks like. So that the true oneness that he has with Hashem is, so to speak, dialed down. This is why he didn't like glow and we could look at him. This is why we could be in his presence. Because if we were in the presence of Hashem, then we'd be dead. You know, because no man can see Hashem and live kind of thing. 
So we got the image of Hashem, but in a way that we can perceive it, we can interact with it. He can interact with us. He can do human things and all sorts of stuff. This is where you literally see the arm of Hashem, the eye of Hashem, the mouth of Hashem, because Yeshua. Okay, so this right here is just a beautiful verse to kind of break all that down. And then remember, he was made into human likeness because Hashem said, let us make man in our image, right? So, yeah, so there's all that. Okay, so that's a Garrett Philippi, the, the Philippians, the letter to the Philippians. Now let's go back to the Agaric Corinth, the first one, uh, chapter 2, verse 16. For who has known the mind of Hashem so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Mashiach, okay, which is Torah. All right, so I just wanted to bring that out because Jewish Wisdom of the Number says Torah study is the optimal means man has to connect to the mind of God. It is, so to speak, how Yisrael is able to know their beloved. Oh, because we're married to Hashem. Because remember Shavuot? Okay, and then it says, As the sacred, loving covenant between Yisrael and God, Torah is appropriately revealed through the number 13, both in its transmission and its exegesis. On the last day of his life, Moshe wrote 13 Torah scrolls for the Jewish people. The Talmud refers to 13 different schools of interpretation. Rabbi Yishmael listed the 13 hermeneutic principles of how Torah is to be expounded. These methods, using logical derivation, textual analysis, Explain how the Torah Sheba al which is the oral Torah, and yeah, the oral Torah, emerges from the Torah Sheba Katav, which is the written Torah. So out of the written Torah comes the oral Torah. There's that. And then it says, Yisrael's bond of love personally established through Mila and Bar Mitzvah is nationally seen through their faith and affinity to the Torah. Okay, so Mila, your circumcision, and your bar mitzvah, when you take on the mitzvot, all of that is about 13. little footnote here. I want to see if it says anything. Hopefully it does. It says, uh, you can see Rabbi Yitzhak uh, Isaac. Uh, Haver uh, or Torah 16 annotations to Ma'alot Torah for the numerical value of 13 as a Chad, oneness, and Ahava, love, corresponds to the 13 rules of Torahation. So if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You will be able to properly study and uh, interpret the Torah. What does the law say and how do you interpret it? Okay, so that about does it. Uh, let's see if there's anything else that I would love to uh, elucidate real quick. Uh, Parsha Naso, chapter 5, verse uh, 7, is talking about confessing sins. And it says, repentance 
consists of three steps. Regret for the past. So this is Teshuvah. Because we always talk about Teshuvah, right? So let's just get it down. It says, Teshuvah consists of three steps. Regret for the past, positive resolution for the future, and verbal confession of the sin to God. Okay, so let's source that out. So we got um, Egeret Yaakov, chapter 5, 16. Let's put that in context. So 15 through 17 says, And the prayer offered in Amuna will restore the one who is sick. Adonai will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. This is the heal me, Adonai, and I will be healed. Save me and I shall be saved for you are our praise. Uh, okay, so that may sound familiar to you. For those of you who pray the Shemone Esre, the Amidah, the 18 blessings. And 18, again, that's the Gematria of life, which is Chai, Chet, Yod. Okay, continuing on, it says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a Ish Hazadik, a righteous man, has great power to prevail. Eliyahu was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Interesting, the power of prayer comes from you confessing your sin and asking for forgiveness and being healed from sickness. I just think that's amazing. Uh, let's see, Matityahu chapter 3, uh, 5 through 7. People went out to him, who? Yochanan Hatovel. Uh, Yochanan ben Zachariah, okay, uh, the immerser, basically. He says, people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea, the whole region around the Yarden, confessing their sins. They were mikvahed by him in the Yarden. Slika. It says, but when Yochanan saw many of the Perushim and the Sadducees, it says, Coming to his place of immersion, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the coming wrath? So say, hey, welcome, guys. Bunch of sinners. Anyway. <laughs> wow. Uh, Acts chapter 238. This is the conclusion of the drosh of Kepha on Shabbat. What's the conclusion of receiving the Torah? And being filled with the Holy Spirit. What is it? Make Teshuva be mikvahed every one of you in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Ruach HaKodesh. Okay. So back to our Hasidic insights over here. So that's what we do. Regret for the past. Positive resolution for the future. Verbal confession of the sin to God. The need for the first two aspects is clear, but why the need for the verbal confession? Check this out. Every sin creates a negative energy that has a body and a soul. The body of this energy is created by the sinful deed, 
while its soul is created by the lust that precipitated and accompanies the sin. So if you really think about it, how we're led away into our sin by our own desires, right? So we create the soul of this negative energy by being led away into sin. But when we actually sin, we give that soul a body. So you can see the soul precedes the body. So if we are creating evil souls, the first thing we want to do is try not to give it a body. And first of all, we want to try not to even be, be creating negative energy. We don't need that. But, you know, sometimes because of a spirit of folly that overtakes us and us turning our face away from Hashem, this happens. So what is the deal? How do we how do we repair this? It says, so the soul is created by the lust precipitated and accompanies the sin. It says when one feels regret for a sin, the life and soul of the negative energy is destroyed. The verbal confession, a physical deed, destroys the body. So you got to destroy sin, body and soul, which is kind of cool when you think about the fact of, you know, what is our life and our observance of the mitzvot. The Torah has a soul. The Torah has a body. And I mean, you're just like, so as much as that's true, it's also the same on the other side. So this is from Derek Mitzvoteka Vidui, page 38A. And again, this was Hasidic Insights, Bami Bar chapter 5, verse 7, and for Parsha Naso. All right, so there's that. Uh, first of all, we have to know something that uh, when we're in Bami Bar, we're being counted as members who are able to go to war. So I will end on this note that, you know, we are in the army of Hashem. We are literally the, the legions of Hashem. And something I was reading was talking about how the reason why Hashem, oh, of course, it wasn't something I was reading. It was something I was being assaulted by as I replayed the uh, Bami Bar GYS from 5778 with the Incredible Talmud. And we were in there talking about the legions being the people of Israel. We're literally the armies of God. And literally the angels were exiled with us so that when we were taken out of Egypt, the reason we were called legions is because we and the angels were taken out of exile. So, yeah. So, I mean, say la, right? But... You know, we and the angels, like the angels are above and the angels are below. And so as it is above, so it is below. And this is why we have to understand is Israel, we're like earthly angels, you know, and uh, angels are considered those who hear the voice of Hashem and do his will. So, yeah. So anyway, um, that's a kind of really crazy way to end, but. Uh, the, what I want to say to you is Shavua Tov. I want to bless you in the name of Mashiach Yeshua. Thank you for uh, taking time to listen to me and to hang out with me. It's been awesome to have you here. And um, let's rally around our rabbi and Beit Dean, our rabbi, Rebbe Zin, and Beit Dean, all of our Sar Shalom leadership. 
We are kol echad. We're literally going to bring the redemption. Bezrat Hashem sooner than later. And let us know that. Let us believe that. And let us trust that. Because, you know, we have power via our connection to Hashem, our connection to Yeshua. And Yeshua said, anything you ask in my name, I'll grant it to you. Considering the fact that you're attached to the vine and you're bearing fruit. So may we all bear fruit. Let's pursue our enemies with the sword. Now that we know what that means, uh, go back to Rebbe Nachman on Parshavik Hukotai. Let's spread godliness, y'all. Um, be avengers. Take no prisoners. Fight. Do whatever you can to uplift the name of Hashem and perpetuate it in all the four corners of the world. Let's push back against the darkness. Let's destroy the negative energy. Let's bring in the light of Vodator Chesed. And uh, may you have a Shavuot Tov. May you have a Roshodesh Tov, because we're now in Savan, Baruch Hashem. And may you have a blessed Shavuot. Man, I'm telling you, get you sums and Shalom and many blessings. Baruch Abab Hashem Adonai. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher natan lanu Torah temet, vechaye olam natabetokeinu, Baruch atah Adonai, noten ha Torah, Amen.